Welcome back. Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. Welcome to the Strange and Beautiful Book Club Valentine's. We're doing romantic movies for February. You're looking at me like we aren't a husband and wife couple who do a podcast together and occasionally you're just like, I love you, honey. (laughs) I'm too manly for that. Yeah, right. You love this movie. We saw this movie together in theaters, didn't we? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You were like, let's go see Warm Bodies. And I was like, oh, it's a zombie movie. It's a cute zombie movie. I have conflicted feelings about zombies. I have... They're not my favorite supernatural creature. I like, like, Shaun of the Dead, where we play with zombies. I like when we play with zombies. But the, like, oh, no, zombies are going to get me, and I'm stuck in this building. gets a little bit bit tiring, you know. I don't know how we have so many spinoffs of The Walking Dead. I think that's what I'm saying. I think we're just starting a new one. Two new ones? There's, like, Walking Dead City or something, and then another one that's, like, Those Who Lived. Wow. Cash grab. I mean, okay. All right. So if you hadn't guessed it yet, the movie that we're watching, we watched, and are now about to talk about is Warm Bodies from 2013. Yep. Oh. It's 11 years old. No. It's still cute. It is. Yeah. It holds up. It does, except for that font at the beginning. Yeah. Which was actually dated when they did it. I think that's the point. It was on purpose. Yeah. Um, This is actually a retelling of Romeo and Juliet, but with zombies. Based on the book. Who doesn't love that? And it's not Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies, which is a whole other conversation. We're not going to touch that. No. So the main character, R, of course, is Romeo. And then. The main character, R, what? His name is R. (laughs) And then Jules, Julie, Juliet. Is our female character. And then his best, R's best friend, M, is supposed to be Marquisio. And even Nora, I think, is supposed to be like nurse. And then they're like the Montagues and the Capulets. So they're the feuding group of families. And in Fair Vienna, where we set our scene, I don't know what. But they're, I think they're the corpses and the Grigios. Yeah. Well, they're the humans and the yeah. zombies. And then I don't know what the bonies are. They're just. I think Matt was like, well, what are they supposed to represent? And I said, uh, the weight of society's expectations. I, kind of <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I love this movie so much. We talk about a lot. We we kind of covered this when we talked about Love Bites, the one that was just this terrible, horrible, but very funny vampire <laughs> movie with Adam Ant. Yeah. Which is, um, I love a movie that's unabashedly itself. I love a movie that isn't afraid to just be saccharine. Because I think right. we get into this trap of, uh, we've called it before, but ironoia, where you have to chase everything with a little dash of sarcasm. Sarcasm. That was a joke. This won't last. You leave yourself a door to just say, oh, I was just kidding. Yeah. If somebody doesn't like the emotional bid you made about yeah. the thing you're interested in. even I'm not even mad at the third act breakup. In this movie, and I'm usually pissed at the third act breakup. Right. It, it's effective. It like, feels very, it feels like the perfect time for him to tell her. Mm-hmm. And then the perfect and reaction. And it drives them apart. And it gets you where you need to go without feeling like he could have told her that like forever ago. And we would have already been over this. So it's the perfect use of the miscommunication trope. The miscommunication or not communicating isn't a bad trope, but we've gotten into the habit of using it for like, I have this very obvious thing that I should just be telling. There's literally no reason for me not to tell you, but I didn't tell you and I didn't tell you specifically so I could drop it at the right moment and we could break up. This was like, 
this is an impossibly hard thing for me to say. I need to wait until I feel comfortable saying it to you or when it feels like it matters and it feels like it matters in that moment and he says it and it's perfect and I love it. And I saw a review of this movie that I totally agreed with, which said it was unabashedly romantic, Mm -hmm. which considering we're talking about a zombie movie is to me high praise. Unabashedly romantic is an excellent way of describing this movie. It is just a feel-good movie. There are stakes. They feel meaningful, kind of. But for the most part, you're. I'm here for Nicholas Holt's voiceover. Because I don't know if you know this, but that's what it's like to be in an autistic person's head. Don't be creepy. Don't be creepy. Don't be creepy. Okay, you're staring. Look away. <laughs> Okay, just act normal. Just act normal. Nailed it. Yeah, nailed it. This date's going terrible. I want to die all over again. (laughs) (laughs) This is actually based on a book, and I did read the book. And the book is a little bit different. The book is like an exploration of the dark side of human nature. So the fact that he took this and made it like, let's just have two people who love each other is like, okay, cool. Like you took enough of the ideas, you kept enough of the characters, but it feels like Stardust where Stardust, the ending of Stardust is just terrible in the book, (laughs) in the books. And then when they made the movie, they just, they made it an unabashedly romantic fantasy movie and it's cute and sweet and you love it. And the ending is perfect. And I think Stardust is a perfect movie. It is a flawed book. This is a flawed book, perfect movie situation again. Mm -hmm. Um, R in the book is a businessman. He's wearing a suit. And he actually has like a zombie wife and kids. They all live at the airport still, but they have like, they're organized. They have like a society at the airport. So they have Mm. like a fighting ring they've built with. Um, suitcases where they teach baby zombies or new zombies how to fight and how to be zombies. Okay. And they kind of form loose family groups. So he has, they're not really his wife and kids, but they're like his, what they're just a a nuclear family unit. Yeah. That they've sort of formed. It's kind of like in girl with all the gifts where they have this vestigial need to fulfill like society expectations like where she finds the zombie pushing a baby cart, like a stroller. Yeah. There's no baby. There's no stroller. I mean, there's no baby in the stroller. But because the zombie was a mother, she feels compelled to push the stroller, and it's sort of like that. And he ends up meeting with Julie. We have the whole same situation where he brings her back to the airport, but he doesn't become human. He stops eating people, he or his he calls it. He becomes gastronomically celibate. okay and then later she like gets him drunk nora is is like ethiopian nora is black and she's missing part of her hand and she's kind of like an alcoholic drug addict (laughs) the city is much bigger and the city is a lot less organized it's more like cobbled together shipping containers and whatever and they have a bar they go to and they try to get him drunk And I'm just pointing out the scenes that I remember because he drinks alcohol and it like hurts because his stomach is perforated because he's decayed. Yeah. And it so it leaks into his body cavity. And he's like, well, that was a mistake. And then he gets mad and he goes out and kills somebody. And he does it like makes him sick because he hasn't eaten anybody since he's been with Julie. And they can actually see life. They don't just smell it. They can see it. They can see like colors in the air. And so at the very end of the book, spoiler alert, Julie kisses R and bites his lip and infects herself. Because if the whole world is going to be dead, she might as well go ahead and just be like him. Okay. Interesting. And they both become something new. Not human, not zombie. Okay. And that's the end of the book. I like this ending a lot better. Ditto. Yeah. The scene in where they fall in the water and he gets shot and she's like, does it hurt? And he goes, yeah. It's like the, Nicholas Holt is a good actor. He's also gigantic. He's like six foot three. Yeah. And poor Teresa Palmer is not six foot three. And she has, and everything that she's in, this is all I can think about, so much hair. 
her <laughs> hairline is like right beside her eyebrow. Like, yeah, she has so much hair. And you can kind of see it in this when she goes on to be in Discovery of Witches. Her hair must weigh like 15 pounds. She has so much hair. It's like a chinchilla. If she got her hair wet, she could die of hypothermia. She has so much fucking hair. Yeah, she goes on to be in Discovery of Witches, and she's good in that, too. She's been in a couple of dicey things, like I Am Number Four, which is just a whole other conversation. But she's good in this. She's Australian, and there's only a couple times where you're like, oh, you, you tried a little hard for that American accent. But for the most part, she does a really good job. Oh, yeah. And I, didn't, I didn't know she was Australian until I was just looking stuff up before the, we watched this. And, of course, Nicholas Holt is British. You can tell. <laughs> uh, his, like, second to last line of the movie. Yeah. He says, I like R, when she's asking him R. his name. Yeah. That line is, like, British accent. Yeah, well, poor guy. And then he, he fixes it on the He's got a British line. soft palate. He's doing his best. Okay. Yeah. R is difficult. <laughs> I saw a reel the other day where it was this British guy uh, and he, like pronouncing American words. And he's like, yeah. okay, here's here are five impossible to pronounce American accent words. And it was like murderer and rural. <laughs> <laughs> Ours. Yeah. You've heard the joke about rural juror. No. Oh, rural juror is like really hard to say. Rural juror. Okay. Yeah. Rural juror. Right. Well, okay. if you're having a hard time with the American R, yeah, <laughs> that's not a great yeah. one. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Thank On you. to the movie. Thank you for that segue. Uh, I really like the opening. I feel like the opening voiceover sets the tone for the whole movie. I love a good voiceover. I love a good... I love a good voice. I know we get mad about the opening text crawl and the opening exposition dump. But this is opening exposition dump done perfectly well because we are getting a – this is slice of life. Right. It's slice of life exposition. Yeah. We are getting a status rather quo. Rather than just like third party or third person narrator Yeah. Uh, exposition. And we're also not really doing any exposition about like how did we get here? How long have we been here? What? Because he even says, I don't know. I don't know how we all became zombies. And he says, you know, I'd like to think that I, I left something behind, but my hoodie would suggest I was unemployed. <laughs> and he also has rubber bands around his wrist. I love when a movie pays a lot of attention to very, very tiny details. And I feel like this movie is really good about it. Like every time you see him walk by stuff, he's touching stuff because he likes stuff. Like he walks mm -hmm. into his into his plane and he bops the little dog and makes its head bounce. Yeah. And he's supposed to be unemployed, so he has rubber bands around his wrist, which was like, everybody did that in high school? Did you do that? I didn't do it because I didn't no. like, I don't like the smell of rubber bands. <laughs> so I didn't put them around my wrist, but that was like a thing. And his pockets are dirty from putting stuff in his pockets. Yeah, he has like streak marks. And he gets shot pretty early on in the movie and stabbed. And then he has a knife hole and a bullet hole in his shirt for the rest of the movie, which I thought was really good. And as Matt pointed out, watching this movie was like listening to every oh yes every <laughs> playlist that I've made since 2013 because this soundtrack is fucking awesome. It's a banger. It's yeah, I love a good soundtrack, and I love this moment in movies when we were putting like popular songs as the soundtrack for movies. We did this in the first Underworld movie, and. It's why it has a completely different tone from the rest of the Underworld movies. Mm -hmm. The rest of the Underworld movies are scored. The first movie has like Evanescence. Me like metal, like heavy yeah. metal soundtrack, which was like fucking awesome. And then this one has it's a lot of indie music and it's really cool and it fits really well and it makes for a really good soundtrack. And it's also the, a lovely juxtaposition. We get a couple of scored moments, but I mean, this soundtrack has Jimmy Cliff, Beist, Guns N' Roses, Bruce Springsteen, Bob Dylan, Bonnie Vare, M83, who did the entire soundtrack for Oblivion, The National, The Minor Birds. It has all kinds of like big names, indie names, and they're all used 
absolutely perfectly. I love it when we take these songs that you recognize and we put them in this new and interesting context and it actually Where the lyrics are relevant. Yeah, yeah, it creates a really cool contrast for what's... Oh, it's just really good. I don't know. This whole soundtrack, just find it on Spotify, listen to it, do yourself a favor, and then find the individual albums that all of these songs are on and listen to those too because those are also great. And then find the M83 soundtrack for Oblivion and just read the song titles. <laughs> Have you read the song titles for the Oblivion it's soundtrack? It's been a while. All right. It's the most... Met- like. I just love first I love it when they take a popular like a, t- a popular band and they oh, I guess popular enough and have them be the soundtrack writer like Queen for Highlander, yes. Toto for Dune, um Tangerine Dream for Legend and then M83 does this one and like the last ones are the the best. There's Ashes of Our Fathers, Temples of Our Gods, Undimmed by Time, Unbound by Death. <laughs> they're just good anyway I love this opening scene because of course like we said it's slice of life so he's walking through the airport and he's just musing which feels really organic it doesn't feel forced he's thinking about what all of these people could have been he says I like to imagine what these people were before we got changed and so he sees someone who he's like, I think you worked at the gym. I think you were the son of a rich person. I think you just and we get these clips of them as regular people doing going about their regular lives. And then it comes back and contrasts with them. Not like the the guy he thinks was a rich kid is just on. On the luggage dispenser. Right. Yeah. Just laying down, just laying down. And he says, I just imagined things were so much better before when we could really express our feelings and connect <laughs> with each other. And it spins around him. And as it does, we get more color. And you realize they've desaturated the color, which is really cool and really subtle and well done. And they pump up the saturation again. And everybody's back to being human, but they're all on their cell phones and not looking at each other. <laughs> and you're like, oh, that's nice, a commentary. Uh, nice critique. <laughs> yeah, that's very subtle. Which, well, oh, okay, great. In 2013, I didn't have a smartphone. No, nor me. So when we saw this in the theater, it was like, oh, yeah, like everybody's looking at their phones or on a tablet or something. But it didn't really hit with me at the time because I didn't have a smartphone. It was a very tip, yeah, of the conversation about separation. It is. 100% 100% accurate. There's an and resonates with anybody who has a smartphone. There's an artist who takes pictures of people on their cell phone and photoshops out the cell phone. Have you ever seen that? <laughs> he calls it like the or he or she calls it like the lonely people and it's like a husband and wife in bed back to back and they're just laying back to back. Well, they're laying back to back on their cell phones, but mm-hmm. when you take the cell phone out, they're just laying back to back and not looking at each other. Or a bunch of people on the couch and they're all looking down at their laps. Mm-hmm. Well, they're looking at their cell phone, but when you take the cell phone out, it looks like they're all just sitting there separate but together. This was the very beginning of the conversation about what phones were going to do to how we interacted with each other. And I have to say that nothing will induce rage in Rachel as much as when I sit down to watch a movie with you and you get out your fucking cell phone. And just start browsing. And just start browsing. My family all does that. As soon as you put a movie on, they're on TikTok, and I just want to scream. And then they'll look up long enough to ask me what's happening. I had to take a minute because I had, like, a really strong emotion when I said that. Like, I had to have a, I had to have an emotion for a minute there because they do that anyway. But at least if they're paying attention, I feel like you're putting in your dues. But if you are watching your TikTok videos, you look up long enough to go, oh, what's happening? No, fuck you. Not time. No. So anyway, that's okay. Ooh. Then we come back to, he gives us a description of the fact that there's actually two different types of zombies. There's the regular zombies, which they call corpses. And then there's the bonies. And so he says, this happens when you lose all hope. When you give up. When you give up. And he says, those guys will eat anything. He goes, well, I will too, but at least I'm conflicted about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
And so we see some a corpse turning into a zombie, and they're peeling their skin off. And he goes, "Oh no, no, don't, don't pick it." Right. <laughs> so a it few worse. of these voiceover scenes, I really feel like they recorded it, and then they were like, "Okay, Nick, you're just going to do a voiceover." Yeah. And they probably had a scripted version, and then him just. Yeah, you know, ad-libbing, just yeah. live commenting. As he's watching the movie. Of the footage. Yeah. And, and like, some scenes, it's like, okay, that was scripted. But then some of the other scenes is like, oh, that feels like, he was like, hey, can I just throw this in here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it feels like in um, the English dub for Kiki's Delivery Service when they had... Um, Phil Hartman. Phil Hartman do the voice for Gigi. And he ends up ad-libbing a bunch of lines. And you can yeah. get a version where they cut out his ad-libs, but you can also leave them in. And mm-hmm. it was just in downtime when Gigi's not talking, he would make commentary. And it, I like it. I don't mind it. Because oh, yeah. it feels organic to the movie. So then he keeps going and he tells us that he actually has a friend. And his friend's name, he doesn't know his friend's name. But he's like, sometimes we talk and he's like well kind of and then it's just them sitting beside each other at the airport bar and they're like (laughs) and then he does like a you feel like they had a real conversation because he like shrugs like and looks away (laughs) this whole scene is so good it's so good and then we meet our human group which is Teresa Palmer the cheaper Franco (laughs) at least at the time James Franco's brother Dave Dave and John Malkovich, which if any movie is ever considering whether or not they should cast John Malkovich, the answer to that question is no. <laughs> no. Okay. No. Unless the character is John Malkovich. John Malkovich. Yeah. Because he has like one character that he plays. He is John Malkovich. You just give him different names. Even yeah. in Aragon, where he's just the voice of It's like of Christopher the bad Walken. Guy. Christopher Walken does Christopher Walken. Yeah. And, and like if the way that Christopher Walken or – John Malkovich act is the same as what this character should be doing, then they are a fit for the role. If you need them to change their behavior at all or their inflection don't cast at all, you need to find somebody else. I feel, yeah, I feel like, but Christopher Walken has made that his thing. Right. Except he's going to be in Dune. Oh yeah. He's the emperor. He's the emperor in Dune. So I'm holding out hope. I'm holding out hope. Okay, I'm not. I I am holding on to that hope. Maybe Denis so can hard. squeeze some he some inflection used to out be of him. An actor. There was a period <laughs> in his life where he acted. He is in Dead Zone, the original Dead Zone, and he does a really uh, good job. What's the of one that. where he has this short, like, buzz cut uh, blast from the past? Oh yeah, he does a good job in that one. Yeah, okay. being an actor. Yeah. The one with Brian, Brandon Fraser? Yeah. Yeah. He was a friend of Natalie Wood's, the lady who drowned. Yeah, there's a famous actor named Natalie Wood, and she was actually filming a movie called Brainstorm in Raleigh. Remember that weird building in Raleigh, in RTP, that just looked like a kid's... The pickle? Not the pickle. The kids, the one that looked like a bunch of kids' toy blocks stacked on top of each other. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. I remember yeah, driving past a it. Movie you told there. me about a movie. Yeah, called Brainstorm, and it had Natalie Wood in it. And she, they had a filming break. She went on a, out on a boat and ended up drowning. Christopher Walken was on the boat. He was friends with her. Nobody, he didn't do anything. I'm not implying he did anything. Nobody thinks he did anything. It's just kind of sad. Like, he was good friends with her. Mm-hmm. And you forget that he was an actor and was a well-respected actor and moved an actor. So he does, still does. But And then eventually I think he was like, fuck it, I'm Christopher Walken now. And he coasted. And But I think he could still pull it out. So I'm I'm hoping he can still pull, pull some acting chops out of the very bottom of his bag and give us a really good Shaddam the Fourth. But I'm so glad John Malkovich isn't in Dune because I have absolutely no faith that he would not just be John Malkovich. Even in Beowulf where he's animated or Aragon where he's um, – Galbatorix. Gabapentin or whatever. Galbatorix, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a prescription medication and I stand by that. Uh, he He's John Malkovich. You're like, oh, wow, look, John. He didn't even do a voice. He was just like, I'm going to talk like me. And they were like, that's fine, John. That's fine. Um. I don't hate John Malkovich. I just don't think he just got to be careful what you cast him in. And he's good in this because he's punchable. So it works. Yeah. I I think 
So <laughs> when we first mentioned, when you first mentioned John Malkovich was in this movie, and if you're ever considering casting John Malkovich, uh, the answer is no. <laughs> I would say in this case, it works. Yeah. Because he's supposed to be the like pseudo deadpan, um, like arrogant. Jaded. Jaded, like almost narcissistic, um, condescending Oh, so John Malkovich. Right. Yeah, okay. So in this case, John Malkovich matches the character. Yeah. And so it works. It works. Because he's supposed to be annoying and disgruntled and condescending towards everybody. Yeah. So- yeah. And punchable. And punchable. And there's a car. We see this car pretty pretty close to the very beginning. And I only mention this because we watched this with Matt's family. And I was like, guys, look, this car shows up. Like, they keep moving this car around from set to set. And it's mm-hmm. a tourist, an older tourist, which is a very distinctive looking car. <laughs> so, which was, you could have done a Honda or something. That would have been, that would have made more sense. But, and uh, Matt's brother-in-law got really, really mad at me. He was like, it's a common car. Of course. <laughs> But it's not, though. <laughs> so anyway, not everybody likes watching movies with me. So I'm really glad you like watching movies with me, honey. I love watching movies with you, honey. Thank you. You have to be willing to sit there and have somebody point out really minute details that literally don't matter. But I can't not see. And that is that this car shows up a bunch. But it leads us directly into the pharmacy scene because R and M decide to go into town hunting. And he's like, wow, we're walking really slow. This could take a while. And that's when we go to the humans and we meet our human group. And then when we come back, the humans are out at a pharmacy because they're salvaging medication for this walled off city where all the humans live. And this is when R meets Jules because his group of zombies breaks in to attack her group of teenagers who are out getting pharmacy stuff. And I love the first moment he sees her because we're in the middle of a it goes fight. Slow-mo. It goes slow-mo and uh, Missing You starts playing. Yeah. And he's like, <gasps> and then we sh- come back into into what's going on, I think, because he gets shot. Yeah. And it's just a perfect, like, slow, fast action moment where we get action, but we don't lose that comedy flavor until he kills Dave Franco. And then he's like, well, if I don't eat his brains, he'll come back as one of us. But the brains are the best part. <laughs> and then he sticks some of his brains in his pocket. For <laughs> and he's going to bite his arm. And he's like, ooh, nice watch. Like it pauses so you can see his watch. And of course, he also takes his watch because he has that later too. Yeah. Yeah. And it turns out that they can get memories from brains. So he can feel alive again if he eats somebody's brains. Which I think is actually from the book too. But he ends up taking Julie back to the airport because... Her group gets overwhelmed and her friend Nora gets away because Julie shoots that zombie right on top of her and she gets covered in zombie blood, mm-hmm. which is how he gets Julie out. He like she stabs him. So he just sticks his finger in his knife wound and like rubs, rubs it on her face, rubs it on her face, which must smell just amazing. If these two it tiny smells little bit, so strongly that it covers up her human, the human scent. scent. Yeah. yeah. And then he walks her back to the airport and he's like, what am I doing? Who does this? Who brings a human home? And he's like, meh, I did it. So he takes her back to his airplane. And this is when we get the don't be creepy, don't be creepy. Because she goes in and sits down and he's just like standing in the door staring at her. And then he's like, oh, crap, I'm being creepy. Uh, I'm going to go. So he leaves. And then when he comes back. While he's gone, he's like, I recognize when a woman needs her space. (laughs) Because he's sitting in his car, which is like. The BMW Z series or whatever that was. It was like a really fancy sports car at the time, 10 years ago. And he's sitting in this car. And in the in the book, he actually has repaired this car and like cleaned gas for it, which explains okay. why the gas still works. Right. Yeah. He's purified because he's he like works on this car in his downtime Okay. in the book. Which explain, and I don't think it's that type of car. I think it's like a classic convertible. Which it doesn't. It doesn't matter because he's more of a, um, he's more of a bro in the book. Maybe I would say because like he uses those records to communicate. He can't talk at all. 
in the book. And so he knows where all of the stuff is on his records. And so he uses the words on the records to communicate with her. Oh, okay. And he only listens to Frank Sinatra. <laughs> I like this version better. Yeah. But this is when we get into like how unabashedly romantic this is going to be because he comes back and he gives her a blanket and then he sits down to like think things through and we actually zoom into his chest and we see his heart come back to life. Right. So he, she literally warms his cold dead heart. It's really cute. Yeah. Yeah. And then they're trying to have a conversation. And this is when I get one of my favorite lines because she's trying to find out what his name is, which she's a really cool character. We haven't talked about her a lot, but she's actually a really cool character because she's scared for a little bit. And then it's like, OK, I'm in this situation. How can I get out of it? Well, maybe I can make friends with this zombie. He clearly wants to be friends with me. Let's see if we can make this work. And so he's trying to tell her his name and he's just going, his name is R or something. And so she's trying to guess, of course, because it's Romeo. She doesn't guess it. And oh, maybe it's Romeo. We don't know because she guesses a bunch of our names and then he can't get out anything. He can't say anything. And he goes, this date's not going well. I want to die all over again because he's just trying yeah. to. And yeah. then, then she says she wants to go. And he's like, oh, no, no, I don't want her to go. Tell her, tell her you need a couple of days. Tell her it's not safe. And he's like, not safe. <laughs> couple of days. They'll forget. And then he's like, nailed it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> His voiceover makes this movie. Yeah. Knowing what's going on in his head is perfect. It's exactly what this movie needs, and I'm so glad they included it. And another theme is his shrugging, and that's actually directly from the book. So we go straight from they're having a conversation to she's trying to eat, and he's just staring at her. And so she's like, mm, okay. And she gets up and puts on a record, and she asks him, why records? And he's like, better sound. <laughs> So he's an audiophile. <laughs> yeah. And he says more alive. They actually spin. Yeah. And he does nervous. like a spinning thing. And then she asks him something and he shrugs and she's like, shrugging? Come on. Stop shrugging, shrugger. Which is a line directly from the book. Yeah. And then he shrugs in response. It's kind of sweet. And then we finally do confront that um, her boyfriend is dead because he kills Perry when they're in the pharmacy. And she knows Perry is dead, but she's doing all this stuff with him. And so we actually talk about the fact right. and that this she's is, not reacting the way you want this her to. This is a they, – they do a good job making it like a plausible like relationship development. Like it's not just heavy-handed like deus ex machina, yeah. boom, now she likes R. Yeah. It's – she gets to know him. He gets to know her. Yeah. And then finally she's like, look, I bet you're probably wondering why I'm not more broken up about my boyfriend. And she says, you know, I live in a world where death is something that I live with every single day. And something happened to him a while ago. And I think he was looking for a way to die. And so I have been letting him go for a long time. Mm -hmm. And it's sad but it's hard to feel sad the way I would have felt sad before. And it's a sweet, sad, because this is a funny movie, but we don't lean so heavily into the comedy that we lose the actual emotional right. We toll. don't avoid the sad emotions. Yeah. Which you need a contrast. You do. To get the highs. Yeah. yeah. And it makes it feel sweetly funny instead mm -hmm. of just goofy funny. Even in the memories where like Perry looks over and they're in school and sh and um, Jules turns around and looks at him and they smile at each other. The first thing he does is look out the window and there's soldiers surrounding the school. Mm -hmm. So you they do a good job of consistently weaving the tension through the comedy, which is hard to do. It's hard to create contrast without making the comedy feel trite. Or making the action feel contrived. Right. So finding the right balance is really hard. And this movie does a really good job with it. And as we get to know R, we start doing more stuff. And this I love, it was one of my other favorite parts about this is I feel like the person who wrote this absolutely has played D&D. Because &D, the only attack a zombie gets in D&D &D is slam. <laughs> 
And that's uh, coincidentally also ours only attack. He just yeah. runs into things and bodily slams them. Mm-hmm. And he does this uh, quite a bit. And it cracks me up. It's his up. go-to It's his attack. go-to. Just even when he has to open a door, he rams the door. He actually dents the door in with his body first. And I feel really bad for Nicholas Holt because he had to run in this weird, like, zombie run. Right. He was probably sore. A lot. And, it, God, that must have just killed his hips because he had to do this really weird gait. And they end up leaving the airport. She tries to kill a bunch of zombies with a weed whacker. <laughs> She's she's doing a good job fighting yeah, them off. Yeah, she's a cool character. She she never is a uh, damsel in distress. Right. Just, she repeatedly tries to escape. Yeah. And R has to keep bringing her back. And he's like, not safe. And she's like, I know, but you told me a couple of days and it's been a couple of days and I need to go home, R. And he's like, okay, but we're going to do it together. And then his friend M is like, human, eat. Eat. And he's like, "Mm -mm." and Matt goes, no eat, (laughs) which is a common 81 kilo line (laughs) from Partners of the Month where the vampire character is like, no eat. So no eat. And ultimately, their love story starts to bring all the other zombies back to life because they remember what it was like to feel connection and community and love. And their hearts all start beating again, too, Mm -hmm. which is so this could have easily been yeah. Too much. And yet we ride that line just perfectly. Just absolutely perfectly. And if you watch from the moment that his heart starts beating, his complexion is steadily improving. Yes. Yeah, they just tweak his makeup. Yeah. It's like every couple scenes, he looks less and less zombie. Yeah. Yeah, and they they do it gradually enough that you don't notice right away. Right. It's really nice. Then they drive off in the car because they get to the, through a series of events, they get to the car and then they drive off and they end up stopping at this house to spend the night because it's cold and wet and she's cold and wet. And she takes pictures with this Polaroid camera, which cracks me up because my niece is all about, she was like, I want a camera for Christmas. And I was like, okay, do you want like a nice DSLR camera? Like, I like cameras. What would you like? And she goes, no, I want a camera that takes bad pictures. You know, you can fix that in post, right? You could take good pictures and you can make them look like they came from a handheld. And she's like, no. So she found, to her credit, she found a Polaroid camera at a thrift store and she cleaned it all up and found film for it so she could take pictures with it. But the Gen The Z, novelty of yeah. taking a picture and have it a physical hard copy of it yeah. immediately with no digital copy was... The novelty of that was so great that she was like, oh, I'm totally into this. <laughs> but she didn't want to take too many pictures because the film is so expensive. The film's like $2 a, a, a picture. A picture, yeah. yeah. But they take a couple of pictures, including one of him, which he looks different in the picture she takes than the picture that comes out. And she does the shake shake, which always makes me laugh because that doesn't actually make Polaroids develop any faster. But how can you not hold a Polaroid and shake it? Right. It's not possible. And then she she goes up to lay down and she actually comes back down and she's like, you can come lay in the room with me on the floor if you want to. Because she misses him. And mm-hmm. she says these houses freak her out. She'd like him to be up there with her. And so he does go up there and then she gives him like, she tells him how she feels. She's like, listen, I can see you in there. I know you're trying really hard. I know a lot of people, humans, who don't try as hard as you do. And I think you're a really good person because you rescued me. Like a bunch. And do you ever hear a line and you're like, oh, that's where I got that. And so apparently that's where I got like a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> and he internalizes this for a minute and then he's like, I cannot continue to live a lie. So then that's when he tells her it was me. I'm the one who killed Perry. And he gives her back his watch. And then she's like, I mean, I guess I kind of knew that. And he's like, well, you did. And she goes, well, I hoped it wasn't you, but. Like, I knew there was the possibility it could be you. And then she rolls away because she needs to process. This makes a lot of sense. This moment where she separates from him to be like, I need to figure out where this fits in my relationship with you. Yeah. And how I think of you. And she ultimately leaves him. He goes to sleep and he has a dream. For the first time. For the first time. Because as he keeps saying, the dead do not sleep. 
well, that he's not dead anymore. So he sleeps and he has this whole dream where he's talking to Nora and Julie. All I could think was Teresa Palmer, Julie and her friend Nora, who we haven't talked about. But Nora is played by T.O. Tipton, who was on America's Next Top Model. And I used to watch a lot of America's Next Top Model because it's like watching a train wreck or a forest yeah. fire. or <laughs> Just yeah. what is happening? Next Top Model and Project Runway. Yeah. You have binged them multiple times i like project runway because at least there's skill involved yeah america's next top model is completely who butt kisses tyra enough oh yeah yeah so she's in the season where she gets they actually pardon me they get to the very end and they are actually the runner up and tyra tells them you are not pretty enough to be a model we think you should try acting and the fact that we had a television show where you could look a person as beautiful as T.O. Tipton in the face and say, I don't think you are beautiful enough to be a model is wild. And you forget how brutal early 2000s to maybe 2014 or 15, how brutal reality shows were. Yeah. I don't think it was until shows like the Great British Baking Competition started playing on American television that American producers realized people don't like the conflict in reality shows. I tried to watch Dance Moms, and that's fucking child abuse. It was so hard to watch. Anyway, that's a whole other aside. The point here is that T.O. Tipton is my new favorite person because they just got married, and their first, like, the song that they danced to their wedding song mm -hmm. was Dela by Johnny Clegg, which is what they danced <laughs> to at the end of George of the Jungle. And I don't know if anybody nice. knows this, but George of the Jungle is actually my favorite movie. So, because <laughs> it's anyway, someday we'll do George of the Jungle and I will unpack my deep and abiding love for George of the Jungle. I think because I like happy movies. And it's a yeah. happy movie, and it's a funny happy movie, and it's Brendan Fraser, and it's peak himbo Brendan Fraser, so it's hot Brendan Fraser, and it's just about this guy trying to be a good guy so that he can impress and um, have a woman fall in love with him. And it's perfect, and I love it. And the part where he eats <laughs> coffee beans and goes, chubba, 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 chubba. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this part is really sad because it's a third act breakup. You believe this breakup, so I'm emotionally invested in this breakup. And he leaves. He gets up and walks out because she's gone. And there's no way for him to find her. And if she's gone back to the humans, he shouldn't go find her because they'll kill him because he's a zombie. And he literally says, I wish I didn't feel anything. It was easier when I didn't feel because then I wouldn't have to feel this bad. Right. And oh, that's hard. I watch that in a lot of people. They reach their hand out so many times and it gets slapped back that eventually you stop reaching out. It's easier to not attempt to connect than it is to try to connect and get rejected. And then eventually you just don't try because you assume you're going to get rejected. And that's hard to watch. Yep. That's hard to watch. Especially as a parent where my kids are now old enough that they're hanging out with other kids whose parents are different or they have a different parenting style. And our children are like different. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you could have guessed from Matt and I, but um, our kids are themselves and I have absolutely no desire to stop them from being themselves. So they are themselves quite fully. And so when they hang out with other children, sometimes this leads to, especially with our son, who isn't overly masculine and I have made no effort to like, you are Train a man, him. son. Right. You can't wear that dress. I'm like, oh, sure. You want to wear a dress to dance? Your sister gets to wear a dress to dance. So sure. Why would you not want to twirl? Go ahead. Well, then you get out into the world and it's what's wrong with you. One time he had his nails painted and these kids were trying to make fun of him. They're like, ew, gross. You have your nails painted. And he was like, thanks. I like pink. And he like stuck them out. He was like, no, they're not gross. They're just painted. Like, I don't understand what your problem is. Right. But watching that and knowing that eventually that's going to sink in and he's going to be like, I can't paint my nails because other people will make fun of me. is heartbreaking. Yeah. Heartbreaking. And you do what you can, but you can't, be their shield all the time or they won't learn how to right. fight their own battles. You have to prepare them 
for what the world's going to be like without squashing them. Which fucking sucks. Yeah. Like, why do I have to do that? Why do I have to prepare them for the challenge? Again, you're not supposed to be the challenge. The world isn't supposed to be the challenge. We should all be in this together. Right. A rising tide lifts all boats. Anyway. Then we finally get M83 pretty soon because after that, he's walking. He meets up with M because M has been kicked out of the airport, him and a group of zombies, because they're coming back to life. And so the bonies are trying to stop this from happening because they don't want to see other people be happy. So they're trying to sabotage this happiness right, for that's everybody. That's their role in the plot. Because they've lost hope. They've given up. They want everybody else to give up too. We all know that person. <laughs> yeah. That's the bony in this in this movie. And this is when we get the exhume the world line. So first R is talking to M and he's like, she left well, that, me. That's uh the Yeah, he gets the word exhume from the dream. Yeah. And he's talking to M and he's like, She left me. And the M goes, Bitches, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like whispery zombie voice. Which is really yeah, funny. Rob Cordrick does a really good job. He as really M. does. He was a correspondent on The Daily Show. That's like the only thing that I know him from. And then to see him in this is hysterical. And ultimately, he says, I'm going to go to Julie. We're going to figure this out because if the bonies are after her, no matter how I feel about how she left me, I have to. I have to warn her. I have to take care of her. And so he's going to go and talk to them. And he's like, are you guys in? Uh, I'll get you in and you can wait. And then like you can protect the humans from the bonies. And they all go. And the the caption goes, zombies groan in agreement. (laughs) And then uh, M says, they say, fuck yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So then we get get another walking to the city montage. But it's like the superhero version. Yeah, it is. It's, um. The first one is Feist, the bad in each other. And I think this one is uh, Rock You Like a Hurricane. They walked in the city to Rock You Like a Hurricane. Yeah. Because they're ready to exhume the world. So then we go to Julie because Julie's back in the human center. And this is where we flip the script. So before she was like the stranger in a strange land. And now he's going to be the stranger in a strange land. And he knows from the memories how to get into the city. Yeah, he has Perry's memories of this path through the the underground to get to get around the wall. Yeah. So they come in. He comes in, exclusively him. And he ends up sneaking up to her house and then we get the Romeo and Juliet balcony scene. Yeah. So she comes out on her balcony. Wherefore art thou, Romeo? <laughs> Cuz she's talking to Tio, or she's talking to Nora, played by Tio Tipton. And they're kind of having a back and forth because she's like, you want to know something crazy? I miss him. And Nora says, you you miss your boyfriend? Like, your zombie, your zombie boyfriend? boyfriend? She goes, I wish the internet still existed so that I could look up what was wrong with you. <laughs> and Julie's like, no, I mean, he was a, a sweet guy. So Nora goes to go to bed and she goes out on the balcony. And this is when she spots R. And then she goes to let him in and they have this like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I did. And she goes, it's fine. Like, I've thought about it and I forgive you. You weren't who you are now. You were only doing what you, like, were biologically compelled to do. It's okay. And he gives her this look, the, like, sad puppy dog yeah, look. puppy eyes. It's really cute. And then they are going to give him a makeover because they need to get him through the city to talk to her dad. Because he's trying to tell them the bonies that are coming to destroy you are doing it because... The corpses are coming back to life, so the corpses can help you. Like, we can all be on the same side in this, but they need to go talk to her dad. And Nora actually says, your dad's not going to listen. And she goes, This no, is a bad idea. My dad's reasonable. She goes, no, I think you're you're remembering incorrectly. Your mom was reasonable. Your dad's the one who grounded you for a month for drinking peach schnapps. And she's like, well, maybe he could try to be reasonable? I don't know. Like, it's just going to happen. We're just going to go. So then they put on Pretty Woman. For the makeover montage. And at first it starts playing. And then we go, uh, we break the fourth wall just a little bit because Teresa Palmer's character, Julie, turns to Nora and is like, seriously? Oh, because she pulls it up on her iPod. Yeah. She goes, seriously? She's like, what? It's funny. And she's like, no, change it. And then we put on Midnight City, which is on every single one of my playlists. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) 
And it's pretty cool. He gets to take a shower. They wash his clothes. They put makeup on him, which is I, always cracks me up when a character is made up to look like something. And then in the show, we are making them up to look human. Yeah. <laughs> makeup on top of makeup. Makeup on top of makeup. Oh, we watched um, In the Flesh. Oh, yeah. And that was one where they had on. They do that routinely. They do that a lot where they have on like a cover, like a cover all makeup. And they have to remove the makeup at night and reveal their zombie makeup. So they have to show them taking off their human makeup. Without removing the the zombie zombie makeup. makeup underneath, which makeup, costumes, all of that is so fascinating. And is such an unsung hero of every show Mm -hmm. i mean i guess they get their own awards they have a makeup and costuming award but we don't bicker over it the same way we do about like supporting actor and which the actors are everybody's important i'm not saying one is more important than the other it's an ensemble cast of of characters that put a movie on it's important to remember it's all important that's all i'm saying so anyway, this scene is really cool. And when they come in, the I like the line, R, you're hot. Because <laughs> they realize, oh, he's Nicholas Holt. Oh, okay. So they go to talk to her dad. And of course, he's unreasonable and he doesn't listen. And he doesn't, he's unwilling. He just wants to shoot the guy in the head. So luckily, Nora has prepared for this. And she pulls out her gun. And she's like, I'm going to, I'm going to shoot you. And they run off, and then he's like, you're not going to shoot me. And she's like, oh, yeah, no, I so am. I so am going to shoot you. <laughs> of course, no, because then uh, immediately an alarm starts sounding, and they right. have to run. And then we get our final climax, which the funniest part of this is they come into Boney's fighting corpses, and the army guy is like, um, we have Boney's fighting corpses, sir. And then M throws a Boney at them, and he's like, here's one for you. And so they shoot it. He's like, fuck yeah. <laughs> So then they keep fighting and we go through quite a bit, but ultimately Julie and R have to jump off this. Right. They get chased by some bonies up a building. Yeah. And they have to jump out a door. Into a water feature. Yeah. And so he grabs her, jumps out, and then uses his body to protect her from falling to the bottom of the water. And when she pulls him up, his eyes clear and are finally blue because they've been gray this whole movie. Right. And then her dad shoots him, of course. And he starts bleeding. And they kiss. They finally kiss. They kiss and then he shoots him. And it's a really cool scene because we finally get one. We get Nicholas Holt's blue eyes finally after this whole episode, this whole movie of him having gray eyes, which he doesn't blink for the first section. Not until he starts becoming more human does he start blinking. All of the zombies don't blink until they start becoming more human. Yeah, it's a nice touch. It is a really nice touch. And then we get this cool montage ending where it's like uh, we banded together. We became like they realized we were still people. Well, they're driving away in the car and yeah. um, John Malkovich is like, are you still bleeding? And yeah. he's like, yes, sir. He's like, good. Good. And he goes, on the one hand, getting shot in the chest hurt like a lot. <laughs> but on the other hand, like it felt good to feel pain. It felt good to be alive again. And I think we could teach other people how to be alive. So all the corpses start coming back to life. And what heals them is love. And not just romantic love, but like love of community. Community, yeah. And I love that message so fucking much. And then he says, I wish we could tell you that we've we've cured the bonies with love too. But we really just straight up murdered them all. <laughs> they were too far gone yeah they were too far gone and then we get like the guys trying to play trying to like throw the ball back and forth with the zombie but the zombie's too slow and so it just keeps hitting him and then finally he moves fast enough to catch the ball and we get the zombie kids playing hide and seek with the real with the alive kids Mm -hmm. and then we get marcus trying to open Uh, An umbrella. An umbrella, and it's not working, so this lady opens it for him, and he's like, thanks, zombie fingers, because he can't get get his fingers to work. And then we get a sweet scene of Julie and R watching the wall get taken down. Well, and M gets a good pickup line. Oh, yeah. He's Uh, he's like, you're "You're very pretty. pretty. 
Yeah, and and then he says, "Okay, now you have to tell me I, I'm pretty too." Yeah, now you're supposed to tell me I'm pretty too. You are a beautiful woman. <laughs> <laughs> you are beautiful. I am beautiful. We can be beautiful together. Beautiful people should be together. <laughs> so, it's really cute. It's really sweet. The ending is sweet. R decides to just be R because he doesn't want to remember the life he had before. He likes the one he has now. Mm-hmm. And it's such a sweet message. And I think this is. I love having these movies that are just unabashedly positive, unabashedly romantic. They take a medium that could very is horror, is in parts horror, and they make it into a horror romance comedy. Mm-hmm. And the audacity of that, and then the success that they have doing that, I lo- I'd love to see more movies like this. I don't want all my movies to be like this. But I like to know that these movies exist because story drives culture. And when we as a culture put too much emphasis on tragedy and the world is actually a terrible place and true love does not exist and no one is actually your friend and everyone is just waiting to betray you. And uh, that's the one thing about the post-apocalyptic dystopian future uh, era that we're in right now mm-hmm. that just it just is such a fucking downer man <laughs> like i don't want to go got, watch a movie about have, everybody dies you gotta have some hope in the story which is the point of this story because what makes the bonies turn into bonies but losing hope mm-hmm. is losing hope and you become a shell of a person that can't even be rehabilitated and yes hope is a double-edged sword It's both positive and reaffirming, but also cruel sometimes. But I don't know. It's how I feel about adaptations when they announce an adaptation and everybody's like, it's going to suck. It's just going to suck. It's going to suck. And I'm like, you don't even know. They haven't even cast anybody yet. We don't even know who's directing it. Can you calm down? It could be perfect. Look at Foundation. I don't know who read Foundation and was like, I think Lee Pace could do a really good job with this. Foundation is unadaptable, and we adapted it. So I hold out hope because otherwise, what's the fucking point? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess that's probably a good way to lead that. And I recognize we are in a privileged position of being, I, I'm in a committed, long term, loving relationship with somebody that feels comfortable and lived in and I don't have to struggle for it and that not everybody's in that position. But I think it's important to remember that community is not just romantic love. Friendship exists. Sometimes family is also someone you love. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> you know, commu- we have lost community and I think that's something that happened long before 2020. But 2020 definitely accelerated the process is we do so many things now that we were never designed to do alone. A parent was never supposed to be on their own raising their child. You should be in a community. Community. We are social animals. We are community animals. Even if you're someone who identifies as an introvert, you don't want to be alone all the time. You just want people who respect your boundaries. That's what that means. Right. You want friends who, when you say, listen, I'm tired, I just need to go home and lay in bed for 12 hours, they're like, cool, let me know if you need anything. Instead of why, what's wrong with you? Are you sad? Do you not feel good? Like, no, right, just... like demanding more yeah. output from the... And demanding from an explanation. Yeah. Why, are you, why are you the way you are? Well, you just want people who know who you are and accept you and love you for exactly who you are and don't need you to be somebody else. Yeah. And that's the purpose of community. So I guess the end result of today's rant is um, find somebody who likes you for who you are, whether that's a boyfriend, girlfriend, or just a friend. Sometimes just having a friend that's like, I had a shit day. I'm going to send them a text and tell them about my shit day and they're going to go, man, that sucks. Yeah. Is nice. So remember... Sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful, too. So be who you are and love what you love. Until next time, friends. Bye. Bye.